Hello, my name is Nick Spacek, and you're listening to From and Inspired by, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we talk with musician Del Kasher about his legendary career and the record store day release of his score for the infamous Sylvester Stallone film, Italian Stallion. Del Kasher may not be a household name, but you've undoubtedly heard his music. He was a member of the famous Wrecking Crew, played on Lawrence Welk, recorded Frank Zappa's first demo, backed Elvis Presley, and built guitars with Les Paul. His many inventions include the wah-wah pedal and the echophonic, influencing the development of electric guitar playing. In 1976, Kasher was commissioned to write and record a soundtrack for Italian Stallion, a rebranding of the 1970 film The Party at Kitty and Studs, which saw Sylvester Stallone's first on-screen appearance. While even Stallone called the film, quote, horrendous, the soundtrack for Italian Stallion stands on its own as a musical masterpiece. Over 40 years later, with the help of Org Music, Del Kasher dug up his original master tapes and assembled a record's worth of material for the soundtrack's first ever release. Italian Stallion will make its long-overdue debut with a vinyl pressing exclusively for the second Record Store Day drop on July 17th. I spoke by phone with Del Kasher about the release of Italian Stallion's score and his legendary career. appreciate you taking time to talk to me today oh it's my pleasure absolutely um i mean i'm very excited to talk about the soundtrack to the italian stallion because uh i had no idea that you were the man who made the music for this um i think what can best be described as an infamous film 
Is it still what? Uh, an infamous film. Uh, the infamous films. Well, are, are we? Uh, I didn't intend to be into any kind of uh, infamous films. I uh, intend this to be my album, my disco album. And uh, what what happened was, what happened was that I uh, got into uh, putting the album out, and uh, the uh, producers for uh, for the film that uh, Stallone was in, uh, they wanted to they wanted to uh, license it from me. So that's how that all came about. I, w- I was a big fan of, I was a very big fan of, of uh, Sylvester Stallone and also uh, Bill Conti. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great piano player. I loved the way he combined rock with, with trumpets. And I thought I could uh, do something very similar to that. So uh, I, uh, I was looking forward to seeing if I could outdo what Bill Conti had done. It and ends I, up being so I, much fun. Like yes, yes. The the track like um like I mean there is the Italian stallion theme which is definitely a a take on Bill Conti's uh gonna fly now, but like tracks like living the high life like when that song started I immediately like my ears perked up. Yes, yes, it was very inspiring. Gonna fly now, and uh, so it was my uh, take on. How, how could I outdo Bill Conti and doing... So this turned out to be a disco album. I, I didn't really intend it to be disco, but it just turned out that way. Well, one of the things I find really fascinating is that, like, I mean, this wasn't your first work in film music, of course. No, no. I had worked with George Schaefer on Our Town uh, TV movie. I had uh, written a lot of other film scores. Uh, for various various films, uh, some of them were low budget films. Uh, I had the NBC News theme on Channel Four that was played for eighteen years, so I was very very much connected with the media and uh, <clears throat> producing the music for the New Zoo Review, which is a children's TV show. Every song had to have a different style of music in it, and uh, so I was very familiar with writing different styles of uh, a music or taking taking the classics and turning them into uh, rock well and i mean like and, you, uh, you sorry to interrupt oh no no that's okay go ahead uh, no like i mean like in i would guess that in your work as a studio guitarist like that necessitates a lot of flexibility on the fly as well yes i was part of the what was the famous uh, wrecking crew group of musicians and uh <clears throat> i never knew from one day to the next i just had my, my trunk packed with about six guitars <laughs> and i didn't i didn't know what today was going to be well i knew it was going to be a motown session i knew exactly what it would be but some days they went classic guitar some days they went i worked for uh, gene autry's melody ranch tv show i worked for three years for that and uh, so i was kind of familiar, familiar with country music uh jazz when they paid me i would pay play it but uh it was it was a lot of fun to have the eclectic styles that you had to develop. One day they wanted you to sound like this. One day they wanted to sound like that. So, uh, and of course, my background, <clears throat> my father was a music teacher, and uh, I was kind of schooled into the classics of uh, classic music and George Gershwin and band band orchestras. 
so I really kind of had to meld my background that my father was teaching me into what today's music was. So what my dad taught me and me playing on a Motown record date uh, were pretty much unrelated. So I was very, very familiar with uh, changing, changing styles. Well, uh, I read a story that when you appeared with Elvis in Roustabout, that like he specifically like kept pulling you forward so that you would be in the scenes because he liked your guitar playing so much. That was totally unintended. <laughs> that was a <laughs> that was a, a a lucky a lucky a moment in my life. Uh, when I w- went to work for, with Elvis, I was told and instructed, you know, nobody nobody talks with Elvis. You you, go, you talk to Elvis and uh, you'll be thrown off. Paramount lot. So we ran down this uh, the scene where where uh, it was supposed to be, always be Elvis and, and a lot of girls. And I figured, what am I doing in this movie? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be uh, just a fixture on in the corner. And uh, so everybody said, well, okay, we're breaking for lunch. We got the set all done. And I figured I'm not going to be in this at all. And uh, Everybody left for lunch, and I figured, I'm just going to sit and play my guitar. So I'd play the guitar. Everybody left except one person, and that was Elvis. <laughs> and Elvis was, st- I looked up, and I noticed he was staring at me. And I'm thinking, my God, maybe he doesn't like my guitar playing. I'm going to get thrown off the lot or something. And then uh, after a few minutes, he slowly walked up to me and said, uh, he said, uh, you know, I've been listening to your playing. And uh, is it okay if I can talk with you? You asked permission for me. <laughs> and so uh, at that time, I, I said, well, sure, yeah. He said, well, I'd, be, I'd, give, I'd, I'd give anything if I could play guitar like you. And so he was so kind, so generous, so polite, so wonderful. And then he said, well, he said, i got to run to lunch right now. But he says, uh, uh, Dale, I've got to just remind you, I'm, I'm going to make sure you're in the movie with me forever. And I didn't know what he meant by that. I, <clears throat> I, what do you mean I'm going to be in a film with him forever? And uh, so we started shooting the scenes, and I'm way over on the corner. The girls are always with Elvis. And Elvis broke out, changed the whole routine, and suddenly he's standing alongside of me. And I'm like, this is a one-shot movie deal. They don't take second takes. <laughs> and I thought what in the world is happening here? And suddenly, like, after after my uh, sur- surviving the first heart attack, I, I realized he really wants me to be in the movie with him. So uh, I just played along with it, and Elvis smiled at me, and he stood to the side, never stood in front of me. And uh, you could tell in his eyes, you say, you're saying, like, Dell, get with it, because you're in the movie. And I sure was. And uh, Red West, uh, one of his buddies of the Memphis crew, was uh, became very. Everybody suddenly became very good friends with me on the set. <laughs> before this, before this happened, nobody cared who I was. After that moment, everybody wanted to be my friend. And uh, Red West said, "You know, I sing like Elvis a lot." I said, "Well, I have a little broad studio on Willoughby near Paramount Pictures. Uh, much come over, run down some tunes." So we ran down several tunes, which later Elvis recorded. And 
Brett uh, said, you know, this is so cool, the way your studio is, it's a one-car garage. In those days, that was a very novelty thing. And so I, I, he said, you know, Elvis would love to come over here and and uh, and enjoy uh, running down tunes like we did just here with no pressure, no anything. And I said, uh, that would be great. And then he tried to work it out, but Elvis was on tour, national tour, so he couldn't make it over. But he was, tell- he was telling me, if Elvis comes over, you can't tell anybody about it. Huh. And uh, kind of laugh. Well, that was in the days when Elvis had to have a crew of uh, a whole group of people keeping spectators away from him. So it was a, it was a marvelous moment in my life to know the king of, uh, of entertainment. And of all entertainers, I can talk to people in China, I've talked about years ago, everybody knows who Elvis Presley was. <laughs> uh, other stars, you can say, oh, do you know so-and-so, he's well, never heard of them. They might be famous here, but not famous there. But Elvis was a worldwide famous personality and star, and a wonderful person. Now, uh, a little bit after that, you did some work with composer Vic Mizzy for uh, a, a pair of his uh, Don Knot scores, um, sort of in conjunction with the fact, uh, the, the, the recent invention of the wah-wah pedal. Yes, yes. Um, like, like, that's a very interesting uh like turn of like course of events it's like elvis wawa pedal don knotts vic mizzy whose scores are uh also fairly uh notable like in addition to those don knotts things the adams family theme um what 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 was uh i i know you were like the the featured guitarist on on those scores um was Uh, every composer had their favorite musicians, and uh, I wasn't necessarily known by Vic Mizzy at all, but how I met Vic Mizzy was a very unusual circumstance, and that was uh, when I realized that the circuit that was designed for an amplifier, which was a tone control circuit, could be put into a pedal, uh, Vox said, oh, nobody, nobody likes that, that's it's not big band music like Lawrence Wilkins. I said, no, it's a, it's a great idea. So they said, we're going to arrange for a cocktail party with all of the Hollywood composers to, to attend. And then they're going to demonstrate, you can demonstrate the wah-wah pedal and uh, show everybody for the cocktail party and using my wah And everybody just looked at me like, oh, this kid, I was 25 years old. Oh, this kid doesn't, you know making all this racket with the guitar. So uh, at the end of uh, at the party, I was packing up my amplifier and my wah. Now this was my prototype wah pedal. Uh, no one had, no one else had a wah pedal at that time. This is the one that I had designed at Vox. And so no one had the pedal and I was the only one that could do it. And so this guy comes up to me and says, Hey, kid, uh, what's your phone number? 
And I said, oh, well, I, could be, I don't have a card. I'll write it down. And he said, uh, uh, Vic Mizzy would like to have you work on his movies <laughs> because uh, Vic, Vic liked, he liked the, you know, the bass harmonica and call it wacky sounds. Vic, Vic was quite a personality. So he said, I want you to be, uh, we, we, we're going to call you. And so he said, give me your phone number. I gave him the phone number. He said, no, tomorrow morning, Universal is going to call you and we want you on his first movie. And that was, and I said, oh, really? Oh, so Universal is going to call me in the morning. Oh, that's great. You know, so what, what, a, what a pleasant surprise. I've heard that story before. <laughs> and uh, I gave my phone number. And next morning, Universal called and said, uh, are you Dale Kasher? And I said, yes, I am. Oh, uh, we'd like to have you on Dick Mizzy's upcoming movie next week. And we'd like to know if you're available at nine o'clock in the morning with full orchestra. And uh, what is the thing you're playing? Is something that some gadget? And I said, oh, that's a wah-wah pedal. I said, be sure to bring that. Dick wants you to have that there. And so I thought, yeah, I can do that. Sure, I, I'm available. And they said, oh, uh, before you hang up, Vic's got two other movies coming up. Uh, there was Don Knotts, mm -hmm. uh, Jake is done in the West, and uh, and the other film that he had. So I said, uh, are you available for those films too? And I said, uh, sure, I've, my schedule's open. So after I said yes to Vic Mizzy's, I remember Vic wrote a lot of noty things on, he didn't, it wasn't like jamming. Everything was note for note. And so... So when we, uh, so when 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 we, I, I got to thinking uh, the Wawa pedal would be a great thing to have, but uh, if I, you only get a chance to screw up once and then you're in trouble. Well, I figured, is he just going to have you go wacka wacka, or what? What does he want me to do? Well, is that Phyllis Diller? She was a traveling salesman. And she was always knocking on doors and trying to hustle a product. And uh, so Vic came up with this crazy idea. Instead of her talking, my Wawa pedal would be her voice. So it was with a full orchestra, uh, 30 strings and all. And so uh, I, I called up the, the copyist and I said, uh, by the way, have you got the music for uh, uh, the traveling sales lady? And I, they said, yeah, come on over and take a look. I went over and took a look and it was five pages of tons of notes written all over the place. It was the opening theme, then I had to play the rhythm guitar, then I had to play fuzz guitar, and then, then, and then the, the hard part was after about 300 bars of music of the title theme, the ending theme ended with a wah-wah pedal. And when I looked at that, I thought, boy, if I don't have a photographic memory on this one, I'm really in trouble. <laughs> so I looked at that, and I studied it out really well, and I said, Boy, we didn't have cameras in those days, so I didn't have, I couldn't take a picture of it. But I saw, I looked at it, and I thought, okay, I got it. I see what he wants me to do. He wants me to do the opening wah-wah pedal. Then I played all the rhythm parts for the orchestra and the band. And then at the very, very end, the closing of the theme, I close with the wah-wah pedal. Well, the thing is, you can't screw up. It's bad enough you screw up with all the notes that are written. But manipulating the wah-wah to fit the notes was all notated by Vic's music. And then at the very, very end, after 300 bars, the last thing I want to do is screw up the last thing because you just record to film mag, not to tape. 
And so uh, you can't punch in, you can't correct any kind of mistakes. And I remember uh, the, uh, Vic's main guitar player, who was his favorite guitar player, which was Tommy Tedesco, mm. a very heavy, uh, heavy player mm-hmm. who did all the, all the uh, sessions for Vic Busy. He played Green, Ac- Green Acres and all that. So when, when I showed up in the morning, I was all ready to go. And I, they said, okay, uh, Dell, you're sitting here at the lead guitar chair. So I show up. Tommy Tedesco shows up and he says, uh, where am I supposed to sit? Well, Tommy always played lead guitar. And Tommy, uh, you're not playing lead guitar today. You're playing rhythm guitar. So I could see in Tommy's eyes like, oh, just wait until Dell screws up and then I'll fix it. <laughs> Tommy, had, Tommy had no idea what a wah-wah pedal was. I, I knew exactly how to voice the lead lines on a wah-wah pedal. It's not the wacka-wacka that people think you just go in and wacka-wacka-wacka. So every note was noted with the other parts of the band. So it turned out that we everything went perfectly well. And uh, the session was so successful that Vic said, you've got to be on my Don Knotts movies. And he, he made sure. And then uh, the third, we did a fourth movie in August. And that was with a movie with Tony Curtis called Don't Make Waves. Mm. And uh, they had uh, hired a rock band to score the music. But rock band guys don't score film. So they hired Vic to score the film. And I was the guy that turned the score into more of a rock style film. So that's my history of uh, me on the Wawa pedal and introducing it to the world. That's just fascinating. Now, uh, I was looking through your your imdb page and uh i was astonished to discover that you worked with um david dakota on three films i worked on many many movies with david i'm very thankful to david dakota he he connected me up with the hollywood filmmakers uh you happen i guess how do you, how do you happen to know david oh no i like i don't know him at all but i'm like very familiar with like his film work just being um a a fan of obscure cult cinema so like films like murder weapon and deadly embrace and nightmare sisters are, are sort of the things that i grew up seeing is like midnight movies and then finding your name as part of those, it just seems like a very, uh, it, it's two disparate worlds coming together, I think. <laughs> yes, I can understand. Uh, David Dakota was a very talented young man, and uh, I got to know him because I had a studio that was moving from music more into entire post-production. And I became a sound post-production uh, supervisor, and David started bringing his films over. And he was very close with working with Roger Corman, so he knew how to crank up films very fast. And one of my proud scores <clears throat> was uh, the score I did with uh, for Deadly Embrace, mm-hmm. and with uh, that was Jan Michael Vincent. And so he, uh, I, I, I composed a, a score that I think complemented the film or outdid the film, because the score was very popular in Germany. And uh, what I was doing was using my uh, my synthesizer guitar to trigger all the samples 
So I wasn't using a keyboard. I was using, tricking the sounds with the guitar. And uh, that's how I created a lot of orchestral music. With my, uh, I was involved with the invention of the Wawa, uh, not of the Wawa, but of the guitar synthesizer for Roland. The sort of fascinating thing is that like a lot of these um, films that had sort of been uh, video store staples in the late 80s, early 90s, like Nightmare Sisters, Deadly Embrace, Murder Weapon, uh, and now um, just this year, Action USA um, has sort of been rediscovered uh, with its first ever uh, Blu-ray release, which... uh, and, and, and they, that is a very different movie than those three. Um, like the David Dakota movies are uh, a little more um, like smaller sets and everything. But like Action USA is like a full blown action film. Um, what was it? Uh, what was it like? Like working on such a like very eighties like action movie. Well. First of all, uh, John Hammer was very popular with his uh, <laughs> synth sound and uh, with the pulsation drive. And, uh, and I had to uh, rethink my guitar playing into a totally different concept. And I had to, uh, I had to get my guitar to, to do the pulsating sounds like John Hammer. And uh, they came to me originally. They wanted me to do the sound supervision of the film. So they wanted me to create the sound effects, uh, you know, record the Foley mm-hmm. and all the things that go with sound post-production. And this was my first uh, year of uh, thinking, well, I'm pretty young and I can do everything. And I, so they said, well, you know, uh, for this amount of money, you will do the post-production. But if we add, if you add this additional money to you, uh, would you do the score? And I said, oh, of course I can do the score. Uh, little did I realize by saying yes, uh, I, I almost uh, I almost could have uh, knocked myself out. Uh, so I was working on post-production supervision for the film and mixing it. And at the same time, I was composing music at night. So I was, I was sleeping like four hours a night while I worked on that film. And I remember I had to go to a rehearsal for the LA Pop Symphony Orchestra. I showed up and I was looking at myself and I said, you know, if I stay here another five minutes, I think I'm going to pass out. So I said, you've got to, got to understand I'm wiped out. So I played the Pops Orchestra, but I uh, left the rehearsal because I had been uh, totally, totally worked, you know, worked up on, worked out on the, uh, on on, on on action usa it's interesting that action usa is becoming popular again yeah yeah it just it, it got a it got a, a, a two blu-ray releases this year like it got a limited one and there's a, a a more wide release that's coming out this summer oh wow i i didn't know that that's uh that's very exciting for me i you saw the credits uh for action usa yeah um i'll make sure um i'll i'll pass along a, a a link to find it to um the 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 fellow doing doing press for uh italian stallion to make sure that you can uh maybe reach out to them about getting getting a copy for yourself to see it 
Oh, yes. Yeah, I think my copy's on a VHS tape, <laughs> but uh, I would love to get a regular copy. But, uh, wow, I'm really impressed you've done your homework so, so much. Uh, I, I, I am a fan, and so... Uh, I, I suppose we should probably end on discussing like Italian stallion uh, uh, again, because I'm curious as to like, uh, like where had these tapes been and what was sort of the process of reorganizing them from film score back into album form? Well, the film basically, uh, was in cut and sets of sections. So it's almost like I it could be like section one could be song one, section two could be song number two. So it wasn't like a typical dramatic score where you would meander from one scene to the other. It was, it was just hard cuts of, of music that fit perfectly in the film. And I was very lucky that at the time, this was in 1978, and uh, I got to know Billy Preston very well. Oh. And I had, I knew John Hatton, who worked on the Name That Tune TV series, and Stan Worth, who's a very good friend of mine, who was a good friend of mine, a great arranger, great keyboard player. So I had an all-star group playing this, this album for me. And that's what made me sound good, was the fact that I had great players. I wrote as much melodic line as possible. I'm a, more of a melodic writer. But I had to have a beat, and I had to be driving. So... Those things, like, for example, the, uh, the clavinet solos of Billy Tr Preston are just outstanding. And uh, I, I owe my thank you to uh, John Hatton, great bass player, uh, Stanworth. So I had an all-star group that was working for me. And they made, they made me sound great, but they had to have music to read, and we knocked it out. And the whole score, the whole thing was done in one day. Can you imagine? <laughs> One day? We start at 9 o'clock in the morning and finish at 6. I, I was very efficient on the whole thing. Everything was written out perfectly, and uh, we, we were able to create. I overdubbed the singers, of course, later. But uh, the rest of it was very efficiently done with, with wonderful players. So the key to it, of uh, sounding great... And sounding as good as Bill Conti is that uh, I had to have the top studio players and they joined in on with this played on the session. And the last thing I want to mention is uh, that my studio, I, I hired a young man, 19 year old man, young man that just uh, got out of high school and I taught him engineering. And uh, he engineered for me on that session and did a fabulous job. And he worked for me for about five years, did a great, great job. And uh, I liked his work a lot. And then one day he said, you know, Dell, um, I've got a job offer and I've got to make a move. I'm going to move to another place in the studio to work. And so I said, oh, OK, well, you know, you've been very great. No, I appreciate that. Uh, you've been fabulous on uh, the Italian stallion stuff that I did. And uh, so I said, by the way, who are you going to work with? He said, Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I said, what? Michael Jackson. Yep. He said, I'll be writing songs with Michael Jackson. And his name was Bill Bottrell. <laughs> and, and Bill, Bill Bottrell uh, did the rap on uh, Michael Jackson's Black and White. 
There's a rap. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. I'm partner. familiar. Yeah. That's Bill Bettrell. And uh, Bill wrote many, many songs with Michael Jackson. And if you're on the other side of the record with a Michael Jackson album, you know you're going to make a lot of money. So he <laughs> did, Bill did very, very well. I'm very proud of him. Well, that's fantastic. Mr. Kasher, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me about your career. This has been as delightful and more as I could have possibly hoped. Well, I'm so pleased to speak with you. and Thank you for taking the time to call and uh, let me tell the story. And I hope that Italian Stallion is discovered by a lot of people because I think it's, it's worthy of uh, people hearing what a good driving music feels like. So thank you for uh, giving me a call on this. Thanks to Del Casher for speaking with me. You can find the musician's work on Facebook at Del Casher Guitar, and his website is delcasher.com. Italian Stallion is out via Org Music on the second 2021 Record Store Day drop on Saturday, July 17th. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromaninspiredpod and can be found on Instagram at fromaninspiredby. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Click those follow and subscribe buttons, please. Also, please hit up the website and click on the Aid and Assistance button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks with the latest installment of our occasional series, Your Favorite Soundtrack, talking Phantom of the Paradise with Cheery's Caitlin Conroy. Until then, thanks for listening. The basic use of echophonic is, of course, the duplication in echo of lesser or greater volumes of the original sound produced by your instrument. The secondary effect is the instantaneous control of the desired time delay between the original sound and the echo repeat as well as the extension of the original sound in reverberation in controlled state of decay. Now without echophonic again, let's try a rock and roll beat. Now we reconnect the guitar to Echophonic.
Now the time has come for you to hear yourself with Ecophonic. This great experience is yours just for the asking. And after you've heard the true magnification of your own talent, you'll visualize your brighter tomorrow, your even greater successes. Just you, your instrument, and Ecophonic. And before you thank us, we take this opportunity to thank you.